0: all right I thought this is a pretty good quote of the week dating philosophy run as fast as you can toward God and if someone keeps up introduce yourself <laughs> there's there's some wisdom in that yeah. <laughs> April who are you looking for are you looking
1: for? but
0: yeah. well, we're back into the book of Hebrews and uh, looking at going the distance. Uh, I wasn't much of a runner. Um, well, in middle school I was fast, um, swift for the short distance but just not built for the, to the long distance run. And I remember in the eighth grade at Concord Christian School, that Mr. Watt, our PE teacher, had the class run a race around the perimeter of the three baseball fields, and in that picture up on the screen, if you look back in the distance, you can see where the baseball fields were. Well, back in the 8th grade, Will Parker was our long-distance runner. He was very good, and Not surprisingly, Will came in first. But I made Will my pace car. And so I did my best to keep up with Will Parker around the the field. And I came in second. Will beat me by about 10 yards or so. But Mr. Watt gave us the same winning time. And Will was not happy about that. And I couldn't blame him. I'm not, Will was a clear winner. I mean, hands down. Well, in high school, it was the same type of thing. I could excel at the short distances, you know, running the bases around the baseball diamond or or running the 100-yard dash. But I just wasn't cut out for the 440 or for cross country. Uh, That was a skill left for others. And then in college, where I went to Portland State University, I was on the very first Portland State University soccer team. And we were absolutely terrible. (laughs) We were an embarrassment to the institution. Uh, Lost every game we played. See, back then, soccer was brand new to the United States. And so it was all new to us as American players. The only reason we were on the soccer team was because we took a soccer PE class and became the first soccer team at Portland State University. But we were playing against Egyptians and Iranians. We were playing against young men who had grown up playing the sport their whole lives. And they made us look bad. But soccer did not require long distance running. Basically, it was short sprints. And so I could keep up. I could guard my player well, because I was fast. Well, after my sophomore year at Portland State University, uh, I married the love of my life. And for our honeymoon we, uh, we went to Canada, to British Columbia, to Harrison Hot Springs. And when we returned to our brand new home, it was a brand new apartment complex. Nobody had lived in it before. It was totally clean. We moved into it, upper floor in Selwood. And I decided that I, as a new husband, would commit myself at the beginning of our marriage to be physically fit for the rest of my life. So I decided I would wake up every morning, early, for the rest of our married life and jog as I started to day. And So the morning after we returned from our honeymoon, I got up early, put on a brand new white pair of tennis shoes, did a little bit of stretching, and then embarked on my new, lifelong goal. I planned on jogging around Westmoreland Park. Uh, We lived only a couple of blocks away. And so with a noble goal in mind, I boldly and bravely and energetically and enthusiastically (laughs) and proudly started running around the park to enjoy my two-mile run. I mean, I was going to be a fit husband, but when I got back to our second story apartment, I crawled up the stairs, I reached up to open the front door, I collapsed on the living room carpet, and the only thing Patty heard coming from our front room was, (laughs) And I thought I would die. My lungs were burning and that was the beginning and the end of my long distance running career. Never did it again. I could sprint. I just couldn't distance run. So I just quit. Did you know that in the Bible, the Christian life is pictured in several places as a long distance run. It's not a sprint. It requires going the distance. It requires not only beginning the race, but it requires finishing the race. Following Jesus Christ to the very end of your life. And all who know Jesus Christ are in the race. We're all running the race. Some run better than others, but but we're all in it. Now this race is not a competition. Um, We're not running against anyone else. We're running against ourselves, really, with our eye on the finish line. And we're all expected to finish the race. Because if I start the race but don't finish the race, I'll be disqualified. And sadly, there have been many who have started the race, but they never finished. They used to run, but they don't run anymore. Well, a group of Jews for Jesus in the city of Rome were seriously considering quitting in the middle of the race. They, uh, they were growing weary. They were losing heart. They were learning about reality and the reality is that sometimes in the Christian life it's really tough it's not easy sometimes uh, there are battles on the inside in our own hearts sometimes we're discouraged struggling with doubts or with disobedience disgusted with our inconsistency and sometimes we're struggling with fear or guilt or bitterness or anxiety some of the battles are on the inside but then some of the battles are on the outside antagonism and animosity from unsaved family members who just don't understand about Jesus or hostility to our Christian faith coming from those in the community. And that's what was happening to these Jewish believers in the city of Rome. And they were considering, some of them, renouncing their faith, returning to their Jewish roots, their Jewish religion, their rituals and sacrifices and feasts and priests and laws. They did not anticipate just how difficult sometimes the Christian life can be. They didn't see the the repercussions of declaring Jesus Christ as their King, as their long-awaited anointed one, as their Savior and Lord. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews has heard about their struggles, their wavering faith. And he writes to them in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let's just stop there for a second. Um, Some read that verse and they teach that the saints who have gone on before are peering over the portals of heaven... They're watching us. They're looking at what we're doing. They're spectators. Well, that's not what this verse is saying at all. The verse begins with the word, therefore. And therefore refers back to the previous chapter, to Hebrews chapter 11. And to what was just stated. And what was just stated in Hebrews chapter 11 is that there were these great ch- saints of God from the Old Testament who believed God, who walked with God in spite of difficulties, in spite of doubts, in spite of opposition. They put their faith in God's Word. And so you've got Abel and Noah and Abraham and Moses and a, and a host of others who are are a cloud of witnesses. But not a cloud of spectators. It's not what it says. They're a cloud of witnesses. And the idea is not that they're looking at us, but that we're listening to them. The, the witness they give is the witness of their words, the witness of their life, that God is faithful, that God is gracious, that God will give you all that you need for life and godliness. That God is good in spite of the opposition, in spite of the fears, in spite of the struggle, struggles. Keep your faith in God. And then he says, therefore. And so it's not that these kind of witnesses are looking at us. But it's that we're listening to them, to their witness, to their words, that God is faithful and sufficient. And so they're not watching this as spectators. We're listening to them as witnesses of the goodness of God. And so he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these these saints of God from from the past, mentioned in Hebrews chapter eleven, let us throw off everything that hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out us, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So how do you run the race well? We're in the race. How do we run it well? Well, there are so many things that could have been said. And this theme of running the race is found throughout the New Testament. And different things are said in different passages about the race. But here, he says three things about the race. If you're going to run the race well. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Here's the first thing. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The picture in Hebrews chapter 12 is that of of an ancient runner. He would walk into the stadium with a long flowing and colorful robe. But at the start of the race, he'd, he'd strip off that robe He take off the robe and and strip down to a minimal amount of clothing. Because you don't run well in a robe. And so the author of Hebrews is saying: if you're going to run well in the Christian race, you've got to get rid of anything that weighs you down. Anything that's holding you back, anything that's impeding your progress, anything that is slowing you down spiritually, let us throw off. Everything that hinders. You know, this, this past week, as I meditated on this text and, and thought and thought and thought about it, right? I thought, I'm going to put myself in the sandals of those in the first century. These Jews for Jesus in the city of Rome who, who, are, who are losing their businesses. Their, their economy is just falling apart and people are stealing from them, they're being persecuted. They've lost so much materially, uh, physically, emotionally, relationally. If I were in their sandals, what would I be struggling with that would hinder my race? So what I'm going to say here is me. This is what I would be struggling with. The first thing that came to my mind is meism, a preoccupation with self, a preoccupation with me, a focus on my needs for me. Why do I have to go through this? I mean. taken anything away from them. I don't deserve this. And then I'd be fearful. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's next? And then I'd I'd struggle with worry. I'd be thinking this. How's this affecting my kids? And then I struggle with guilt. I know I shouldn't be feeling this way. I know that I shouldn't be pouting and complaining and feeling sorry for myself. I know I shouldn't be bitter. I know I shouldn't be resentful. I know I shouldn't fear. That I need to place my. My life in the hands of God. I know I shouldn't worry. And the prayerlessness, you know, I'm trying to solve this problem by myself. I feel guilt. And then as I'm thinking about my natural carnal response, I begin hearing this still small voice. It's a still, small voice, because in the midst of my trouble, I really haven't been drawing near to God. And the voice says, uh, You know that trials come only to make you strong? Because my word says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and you need to let perseverance do its work that you might be mature and complete, not liking anything. And when you're focusing only on yourself, Rod, you're not allowing me to work in this situation. Instead of looking in, you need to look up and say, Lord, what do you want to teach me in this? How do you how do you want me to respond righteously in this situation? And and then, Ron, you need to pray for your persecutors. To which I would respond, excuse me? You need to pray for your persecutors. Because my son said, you need to pray for your enemies. You've heard that it was said love your neighbor and hate your enemy but but I tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven and right you need to get rid of that bitterness that resentment and you need to forgive because remember remember my son said forgive For if you forgive men when they have sinned against you, your Father in Heaven will forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. To which I would respond. Anything else? Well, since you asked. (laughs)
1: Love
0: your enemies and do good to them. My son said that, too. That's part of getting rid of your bitterness. It's doing good to your enemy. That's one of the steps to take to get rid of bitterness. And so you you need to invest in their lives. You need to do good to them. And I'll help you. Because I know it's not your natural inclination to do that but you need to change your attitude and you need to change your actions towards your persecutors. But Lord, that's not something I want to do. To which the Lord would say, well, you're not telling me something I don't already know. But how is doing your way working for you? You have peace, contentment, joy in the Lord? You know you don't. And one other thing, Rod, you need to repent. You need to confess your sin. Your sin of self-pity and anger and fear and worry and prayerlessness. You need to own up to it as sin. Otherwise, your run will come to a standstill. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders. Take a look at your life. What is hindering you in the race? It may be something that's good, that's taking the place of what is best. It may be a sin. But whatever it is, for the sake of running successfully in the race, you need to get rid of it. You're not going to run the race well if you're burned down with excess baggage and weight. When I played uh, Little League Baseball back in the 50s, for those of you that aren't sure, it's the 1950s. Youth sports were not funded. Um, Teams had to make do with what they had and often what they had wasn't much but they would bring to us a box of uniforms and back in the 1950s the uniforms had a material I think it was cotton but it was thick it was real thick and it was heavy when you would run in it it was like wearing a clown suit (laughs) or trying to run in a sleeping bag. And today baseball uniforms are much lighter and they're sleek, they're more conducive to being unencumbered. Well, back in the 1950s in middle school, I was about four foot eight, and weighed about 73 pounds and the coach could not find a uniform that was small enough to fit me. So he gave me the, the smallest uniform you could find in the box. And even then, it was way too big. The pants were too big, the jersey was too big, and the uniform was bulky and baggy. And I could hardly run in it. I mean, you don't run well if you're four foot eight, weighs seventy-three pounds, and the uniform weighs ten pounds. And the same is true in the Christian race. If you're gonna run well, you've gotta throw off everything that hinders. If you're gonna travel far, you gotta travel light. So what is it hindering in your Christian race? What's slowing you down? Could be a person, could be a dear friend that's dragging you down, drawing your heart away from the Lord. You may have to take a step back from that friendship. Doesn't mean you have to no longer be friends, but you may have to take a step back. Because they're impeding your Christian life, and you know it. Let us throw off everything on tenders There are those who party hardy every Saturday night into the wee hours, and then they show up Sunday morning, and they're unable to give the Lord their best, they're too tired to sing, they're too worn out to be attentive to the Word of God, and they're dead in the head. And they haven't yet learned that to prepare your heart for Sunday morning, you really begin Saturday night. Let us throw off everything that hinders Maybe your priorities are out of whack. You, you have misplaced priorities. The, the things of God end up always taking second place, or third place, or fourth place. Let us throw off everything that hinders. One Sunday morning in the, at another church, I was preaching on Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. You know the verses. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Make a radical decision here. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell well at this particular church it was the custom for me as the pastor to, to go to the exit of the sanctuary and stand and and greet people and, and that gave them an opportunity to, to share with me any of their concerns or needs or prayer requests and uh, there's a newer family in the church and uh, They were coming up to me as they were preparing to go home. They had been in the church for a couple of months. And they are really trying to become thoroughly Christian. They were making some real radical changes in their household. Because they wanted to follow Jesus Christ. And they hadn't been. Christ was making changes in them. But it was all pretty new to them. Well, it was exciting to see what God was doing in our lives. And so the husband and wife, they, they come up to me together, and their two daughters were right behind them, you know, just inches away. And the husband said, God really spoke to me this morning to that message. And in front of his wife and his two teenage daughters, he said this, I think I need to go home and destroy my Playboy magazine collection. Amen. Do you think that was easy for him? It wasn't. But that was part of Hebrews 12.1. Let us throw off everything that hinders. I don't know what it might be in your life, a habit, an activity, a place, a pleasure, a sin. But if you're gonna run the race successfully, the first thing you need to do is throw off everything that enters. Seemingly little things in our lives can eventually crowd out Christ altogether, And they can take over and once where we were running, then we start to walk, and then we start to crawl, and then we just stand still, and, and then we turn around and walk off the track. Anything that impedes your spiritual life should go, so that you can have the freedom to, to run the race as you should. For eight years, um, Sally had become the family pet. When they got her, she was only a foot long. But Sally grew. She reached 11 and a half feet, weighed 80 pounds. And then Sally, this Burmese python, turned on a member of the family and strangled him, and he suffocated to death. Something so small took over. Running the race well for Jesus Christ involves making some tough choices and throwing off everything that hinders. The least weak, the better. Well, then he writes this. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now he's not just talking about any sin here. He's talking about the sin. I just had to scratch my head this last week as I'm reading the commentaries on Hebrews 12 to see if I can get any additional insight. And they come to this text that talks about the sin, and they just go all the way around it. They don't know how to handle it. I'm thinking it's obvious. If you read the book of Hebrews chapter 1 to chapter 13 it's obvious what is the sin in Hebrews that so easily entangles and it's the sin of unbelief unbelief says I don't know if what God says is true I don't know if his promises can be counted upon I'm not sure I trust what he says For example, God's Word says, I consider that the present sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And unbelief says, I don't don't know if it's worth holding on to my faith in Christ. God's Word promises, no temptation is seized to except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way to escape that you can stand up under it. But unbelief says, I don't think I can conquer that sin. Unbelief says, uh, or God's word says, we know that we have come to, to share in Christ if we obey His commands unbelief says, well, I trust in Jesus, but I'm going to live any way I want. God's word says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. But unbelief says, I don't think I have the strength to live the Christian life. Well, you can't fix it, but He can. You see, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And to do that requires discipline, the discipline of the mind. It requires the discipline to say no to anything that's going to impede my spiritual progress and the discipline of, of believing God's word and, and taking God seriously in what He says. When your faith is weak, and at times it will be, what do you do when you tell God about it? Say, Lord, I, I'm having trouble today. I, I'm having trouble believing your word. To which we're all reminded of the story in Mark chapter 9. Where the man said, Lord, I believe it help my unbelief. Tell God that. He honors that, that openness, that transparency. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. Now the Bible that I use is a 1984 New International Version, and. I love that version. But a change needs to be made here. Um, it's with that word perseverance in the text. In the Greek it's hypomone. And you say, why do I need to know that? Well, I'll tell you in just a second. Now Perseverance is an acceptable translation, but it's better translated Endurance. And if you don't have an NIV, if your Bible is another translation, and you look at your text, it doesn't say Perseverance. It says Endurance. And here is why it's important that it should be Endurance. Look at the text therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the greek noun hypomone meaning endurance so let's let's just change it let us run with hypomone endurance the race marked out before us let us fix our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured and now it's a verb hypomeneal the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured hypomeneal, such opposition from sinful men that you will not grow weary and lose heart you see what the author is doing He's he's saying something three times he's using a common root word. A noun, a verb, and a verb. He says, endure, endure, endure. Why does he say it three times? He wants them to get the message. If you're going to run the race well, what do you need to do? You need to hang in there. You don't give up. You endure. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance." The race marked out for us. The Christian life isn't a hundred yard dash. It's a, it's a distance race that involves the totality of your life. It might be a day, it might be a year, it might be 90 years speed's not the issue the issue is stamina it's endurance it's finishing the race and there are those who do not finish the race we all know folks like that started strong but then they began to weaken and then they ended up being out of the race altogether But. Hebrews teaches us in multiple texts in the book that only he who endures to the end will be saved. So there are going to be times in your life when you're going to be tempted to quit. You may have made a terrible decision or you may have sinned grievously and both you and your family are humiliated by your sin. You may feel betrayed by another Christian. I've often said, you you don't know what it is to hurt until you've been betrayed by a fellow brother or sister in Christ. That hurts. You know, where they don't stab you in the back, they stab you in the front. Or, you've seen so many hypocrites in in the church, you say, I'm tired of it. There's too many hypocrites don't throw in the towel don't quit don't give up you rebound and you keep on running C.S. Lewis was so right when he said no amount of falls will really undo us if we keep picking ourselves up each time there you go no amount of falls will really undo us if we keep on picking ourselves up each time. So persevere, endure, don't quit. Keep on running until your faith becomes sight. There's a third thing he tells us in the text. Did you pick up on the let us? us? Let us, let us, let us, let us throw off everything that hinders them the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with endurance. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Three things. Throw off everything that hinders them, the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance, and let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Can I tell you that uh, if you're stumbling in the race, I can guarantee you something. You're not fixing your eyes on Jesus. If you're stumbling in the race, Somewhere along the line, you are not fixing your eyes on Jesus. You're fixing your eyes on yourself. You're fixing your eyes on others. You're fixing your eyes on your circumstances. But you are not fixing your eyes on Jesus. Now why did the writer of Hebrews write these words right here? Well, I'm sure there are multiple reasons, but let me give you two. He wanted to remind these these struggling believers in Rome, these hurting and heartbroken and weakening saints. And number one, they will never suffer more than Jesus. They will never bear the sins of the world. They will never be, shaken, be forsaken by the Father. They will never suffer. More than their Savior. That's one thing. But a second reason he put these verses here is that though their Savior suffered, though he was absolutely humiliated on a Roman cross, you know that. Only those who were deemed unfit to live were crucified. Even though the best man who ever lived was betrayed and denied and disgraced and deserted, even though he went through all that, he finished the race. He didn't give up. He continued to have faith in his Father. And he looked past the agony of the cross to the joy that was set before him. He said, what in the world is that? Well, the joy set before him is that there would come a time, if he fulfilled his mission, if he finished the race, there would come a time when he would be welcomed home by his Father. And by the angels of heaven, And he would have the honor of sitting to the right hand of God in heaven. And by the grace of God, Jesus finished the race. And by the grace of God, you can too. And so he told them this here. To tell them, look, you'll never suffer more than Jesus. And... Jesus finished the race and so can you. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning and shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Why? So that you don't grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. In your pain, in your struggle, in your confusion, direct your attention to Him. Make Jesus the focus of your life. Not the circumstances. Not the troubles. You don't bury your head in the sand, but at the same time, you're fixing your eyes on Jesus. Because He is the model to follow. He can sympathize and He understands our weaknesses. He can grant you wisdom to know what is the right thing to do and then give you the strength to do it. And so fix your eyes on Jesus. Let let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us fix our eyes on... Let us run with perseverance and then let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You do those three things, you will run the race well. You will run the race well. And what is it that God would have you do as a result of these three verses in Hebrews? Is there any action that that you need to take in your life? Is there anything that when you go home you need to, to get rid of this? You need to change this relationship, you need to Adjust your schedule. What is it you need to do? Well, whatever the Lord's telling you to do, do it so that you run the race well. And when you're tempted to quit, don't quit. Run the way, race with endurance. Keep on going. The light will shine again. It will. And remember, whatever you're going through, you will never go through what Jesus did on your behalf. Your Savior, He he, he bore more suffering than you will ever suffer. And in spite of all that, He finished the race. And you can too. Listen to this song, and as you listen to it, Ask the Lord, uh, what would he have you to do so that you run the race? A businessman goes on a trip out of town to attend a conference in another city. He's traveled most of the day and he's tired and so he goes to his hotel room, lays down on the bed and takes the TV clicker and starts clicking channels and whoa, wait a minute he finds out that the the company has made reservations for him in a hotel that has pornography as part of their stations. He's a believer. And so he fixes his eyes on Jesus. What's he going to do? Well, if he's fixed his eyes on Jesus, he's going to be pure. He's going to avoid that. He's going to shut it up. It's going to keep away from it. A wife, mother, has been just hurt by one of her kids. I mean, their adult kid is breaking their heart. Doesn't want anything to do with them. Doesn't want anything to do with the family. Doesn't want... Anything to do with God. But she fixes her eyes on Jesus. And what happens? Well, she forgives him. And she prays for him. Because if he keeps on that path, pity him. dad is really struggling he's he's not doing well at work not making enough money to pay the bills and it's affecting the family and everything just seems to be falling apart all around him but he's a believer and he fixes his eyes on Jesus what happens not going to worry about the future. He's going to trust God. God's going to see us through this. God's going to provide for our needs. I don't know how he's going to do it, but but I'm going to trust God in this. You see, no matter when you face these challenges and trials and temptations, if you fix your eyes on Jesus, it changes your whole perspective. And That's what you need to do if you're going to run the race well. Our Father, thank you for your word. It is always true. And it is always powerful. And it always speaks to our hearts. May your word accomplish its purpose in us today, we ask in Jesus' name.